0: Thank the Lord for the thoughts that Uncle Mark had in mind to share with us tonight and uh, for his fervent prayer. I ask you to continue to pray for me as I endeavor to preach to you this evening. It is true that we have many people leading our country that don't seem to have the wisdom from above. And uh, the Bible says that the nation that forgets God will be turned into hell. That's not eternal hell, but it would be a judgment of God. And that verse teaches us that nations can forget God. And I certainly believe we have as a nation. There are pockets of people here and there that, remember the Lord and try to worship Him, but the nation as a whole, I'm fearful, has forgotten Him. So we may be getting what we deserve from our leaders, but we need to beg God for His continual mercy. This morning, I was endeavoring to preach some from the book of Romans, and my mind is still on that subject tonight. This morning I mentioned in Romans chapter 3 where the Apostle Paul said, We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. That was a general uh, statement about the entire human race being sinners. But in Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul gets very personal about his own sins. And acknowledges that he is a sinner. And he would say in verse 24 of Romans 7, O wretched man that I was, no, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And in Romans chapter 7, Paul had described the spiritual battle that goes on between the flesh and the spirit. He, he describes it in more detail than any other place in the Bible. He's talking about himself. And he says in verse 18, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing." He's he's acknowledging that he has a sinful nature that has no good at all. Now, in verse 1 of chapter 8, he would say, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Let's think a moment about that word, therefore. There is therefore. How is that word used in common conversation? The word therefore refers us back to what has been said previously. Y'all understand that. There is now, there is therefore now, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Paul is referring back to the closing verses of chapter 7. Let's read those. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body, uh, from the body of this death? In verse 25, he answers his own question I thank God. Who else can we thank? I thank God, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That simply means that God, through Jesus Christ, will deliver us from this body of death. And I think the picture there is probably referring to a common practice in the first century or in ancient times. When an enemy would go out and conquer uh, a country, it was common for them to take the body of a dead warrior that had fallen in battle and tie that body to one of their enemies. And that enemy would have to carry that dead, decaying body on his back for a long time. Now that would be horrible, wouldn't it? That would be serious. That would be be serious punishment. That was a common practice. And I think when Paul says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death, I think he's using that to illustrate what you and I have to carry around with us all the time. And that is a sinful nature. Can anybody in the house... Tonight, witness with what Paul is saying. We all have that struggle. Is there a part of you that you just don't like? A part of you that is wretched? Now, Paul obviously struggled in his own being with this warfare between the flesh and the spirit. He says, for the good that I would I do not. Wait a minute, Paul. If you would do good, why don't you just go ahead and do it? For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now there is a description of our human condition with sinners. We have this constant struggle Going on in our nature all the time. And Paul had that. Now, Brother Mark mentioned Saul tonight. And there was a time in his life when he didn't feel to be a wretched sinner. He felt like he was the greatest of the Pharisees. You know, when he wrote to the Philippians, he said that uh, if anybody has whereof to glory in the flesh, i more. That's a boastful statement, isn't it? He said, if you all think y'all have a lot to glory in, I've got more to glory in than y'all do. I'm of the stock of Israel, which means that he was a pure-blooded Jew. There wasn't a drop of Gentile blood in his body. He was of the stock of Israel. No mixed blood here. That was very important to the Pharisees." Of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was the tribe from which the kings of Israel came. And Saul bragged about the fact that he was of the tribe of Benjamin. As touching the law, he says, I'm blameless. That man, before God dealt with him on the Damascus road, he was high-minded, He was arrogant. He thought he was better than everybody else. But was he? No. The Bible tells us in the Acts of the Apostles that he was going about persecuting the church. He was getting letters of authority from Jerusalem. He had done all the damage he could, I suppose, to the church in Israel. So now he's going down to Damascus. He's leaving Jerusalem, going all the way to Damascus in Syria to arrest Christians there and bring them back to Jerusalem for trial. And the Bible says that he was breathing out, do y'all remember what he was breathing out? Threatenings and slaughter against men, women, and children. I heard the other night that Glenn Beck and some others have gone to Afghanistan on secret missions to take Christians out of Afghanistan. Arabs that have converted from Islam to Christianity. And they were able to get about 5,000 out, the last I heard. Because you see, when the Taliban and uh, ISIS finds... An Arab that has converted to Christianity, they don't just shoot them. They don't just cut their heads off. They set them on fire. They burn them alive. Now that's too horrible to even talk about. They're monsters. Well, Saul was breathing out threatenings and slaughter against people like you and me tonight. And he didn't feel any conviction at all. He thought he was doing, he thought he was just wonderful. Now that's an evidence this man had not been touched by God's grace. Would you all agree? Some people argue that Saul was born again from his mother's womb. Well, I, I don't think so. I don't think a man born again could have that kind of attitude toward men, women, and children. But on the road to Damascus, some preacher came out and changed him. No. You know who met him on the Damascus road? The same one that changed you and changed me. And that's Jesus Christ. He met him on the Damascus road. Preachers were intimidated by Saul. I would have been. This man's reputation had preceded him. He was a dangerous man. He was violent. But i tell you somebody he didn't intimidate. And that was Jesus Christ. Jesus met him on the Damascus road and struck him down. And Saul said, Lord, who art thou? And Jesus said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Now, we know Saul didn't persecute the body of Jesus. There's no evidence that he ever beat Jesus or drove those nails in his hands. I'm sure he'd have been glad to have helped the Roman soldiers crucify him, but he didn't. So what does Jesus mean when he says, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest? It's this. He was persecuting God's children, and God was taking it personally. That's why I don't want to ever lift a hand against one of God's children. He takes it personally. You know, he said, if y'all give a cup of drink of cool water to one of these, my little ones, you've done it to who? To me. I want to be good to God's children. What about y'all? I can't be good to Jesus tonight because he's in glory. He doesn't need a drink of water tonight. But you all might. And I hope I would be willing to give you a drink of water. Uh, But if I harm one of his children, he takes it personal. So he says to Saul, why persecutest thou me? And now we see a completely total attitude change. Saul says, Lord, what wouldst thou have me to do? Have you all ever asked that question well, Lord, the Lord told him what he would have him to do. And from that time until the rest of his life, he was a changed man. And now he's got a conscience. And that conscience convicts him when he does wrong. So he can say in Romans chapter seven, 7, O wretched man, that I am. That's a lot different than what he was saying about himself to the Philippians when he said, I'm of the stock of Israel. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, As touching the law, I'm blameless. I'm a Pharisee. No, no, this man has been touched by grace. And the Holy Spirit has shown him what a sinner he is. And you know, only the Spirit of God can do that. Mamas and daddies cannot change their children's nature. If they could have, my mama would have changed me a lot sooner than I was changed. But they couldn't. But God can. And he did in the life of Saul of Tarsus. Now, God gave him a conscience so that now when he does something wrong, that conscience convicts him. See, people dead in sin don't feel any conviction of sin. All, the only thing they fear is getting caught. That's all. They don't want to get caught doing their bad things, but as far as a conscience, they don't have one. It's not bothering them. Aren't y'all glad you've got a conscience? Did you know it's a blessing to have a conscience that will speak to you and convict you when you do wrong? I tell you, I heard a lady the other day. She uh, on TED Talk. She was she was um, she she's a counselor and she helps people try to behave better and show more love to their family and their kids. And she confessed. She said, I I teach this all day long to people. But the other morning I was trying to get out of the house with my four kids and they were murmuring and complaining about what they had for breakfast. And I screamed at them and said, y'all get into this car or I'm going to take away all your screen time. I'm going to take away all your desserts. I'm going to take away everything that you like. And one of her little boys said, Mama, that's not love talk. <laughs> and her conscience convicted her. Aren't you glad you've got a conscience? I heard about a, a I knew a preacher one time who was about as mechanical as I am, and a little red light started coming on on his dash, warning him about something, and the light was blinking and aggravating him, so he just put a piece of tape over it. Did that help anything? Your conscience is given to you and to me as a blessing in our lives to tell us what we've done wrong and what we've done right. And that's a blessing. And if your conscience isn't sometimes convicting you, then you might have seared your conscience. Did you know Paul said that you can sear your conscience? I had a preacher friend one time who had something wrong with his arm and all of the uh, all of the nerve endings in his arm just died. He had no feeling at all and he accidentally backed into a stove and burned himself severely and he never felt any pain. See, those nerve endings are put in our bodies for a purpose to warn us when we're doing something that's harmful. Now you can still harm yourself when your conscience is seared, but You don't want to do that. You want to keep your conscience sensitive and alive. So Paul's conscience has been awakened by the Spirit of God. And now when he does something to harm people, he's convicted. And now he understands. He recognizes. Oh, wretched man that I am. See, when the Lord sent him into Damascus, to a street called straight. That's where we all need to go to get, a, get straightened out. He was to go and hear a preacher by the name of Ananias. Now if Ananias had met him out there on the Damascus road. Before Jesus dealt with Saul. And said, Saul you're a wretched sinner. How do you reckon Saul would have taken that? He'd have been ready to cut his head off. But now Paul is himself saying, I'm a wretched sinner. I want to to say this tonight. If you have this spiritual warfare going on inside of you, that is an incredible evidence that you are in Christ. Do you all believe that? See, people who have no conscience... They can do anything and everything, and it doesn't bother them. They just want to get by with it. That's an evidence that they're not born again. They're not in Christ. But if you have this warfare going on inside of you, that's evidence that you are in Christ. So now Paul can come in Romans 8 and verse 1 and say, There is therefore now no condemnation to them, Which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now what is that teaching us? Our Calvinist friends will say, see there, if you're one of God's children, and you're born again, you're going to walk after the Spirit. And if you don't, it just proves that you're not a child of God, that you're dead in sin. I don't believe that's what Paul is teaching here. I believe Paul is teaching us that a child of God who has been born again and has a spiritual nature is always being prompted by the Holy Spirit to walk after the Spirit. He's not saying we're always going to do it. Paul didn't. When Paul wrote the Philippians, he said... uh, He said, uh, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. He said, I don't count myself to have apprehended. That is, I don't feel like I've arrived. I don't feel like I'm living just like I ought to live. I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and pressing toward those things that are before uh, I pressed toward the mark for the prize of the high calling. What was the prize? Not heaven. The prize was enjoying the communion and fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ. And and Paul, Paul is uh, he? He's a mourner. You know, Jesus said in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, He gives us the beatitudes. Y'all remember those? He said, "Blessed are they." Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. See, when you're born again, and the Holy Spirit shows you what you are by nature, I want to tell you, you, you feel to be poor in spirit. You feel to be a bankrupt sinner with nothing to pay your sin debts with. That's what we need in the church. People who are poor in spirit. I heard about a man one time over in Columbus, Georgia, that had been going around to different churches, different denominations, and he finally decided to join this little primitive Baptist church. And when he came down front, they gave him an opportunity to say something to the church, and he said, Well, he said, I've been going around to different churches and denominations looking where I thought I might could do the most help, be the most help. And I think y'all need me more than any church I've been to. And thank God somebody made a motion to table it. <laughs> would y'all take somebody into Cool Springs Church tonight who came down here and said, Y'all are blessed now that I've got here. I've arrived. Would y'all take somebody like that? If y'all would. <laughs> I got a big job ahead of me trying to preach. But no. No. No, we want people to come down here who feel poor in spirit, feeling like I'm not worthy to be in the church. Now, that's the kind of church members you need. Poor in spirit. And then Jesus says, blessed are they that mourn. He's not talking about mourning over the COVID-19 or mourning over... Uh, the economy, or losing a job. He's talking about mourning over your sinful condition. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. The gospel of grace comforts people that are mourners. Do you all believe that? A lot of people wouldn't care a thing in the world about the gospel of grace. Who needs grace? (laughs) I need it. And I thank God for it. He says, blessed are the meek. See, when you begin to walk with Jesus and understand your condition, all of a sudden you're humbled by your sinful condition. And then Jesus says, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after what? Righteousness. And then he says, Blessed are the merciful. See, as you grow in grace, you become more and more merciful to other people. It's a beautiful life to be lived. And that word blessed means happy. These people are happy people. Jesus tells about two men that went up to the temple to pray. One of them a Pharisee and one of them a publican. They went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer. And the, and the Pharisee played thus with himself. And he said, Lord, he said, uh, he said uh, let's see if I can remember it. It's a long prayer, actually. He said, I, I he said, I'm I'm not an extortioner, I'm not an adulterer, uh, I'm not this, I'm not that. And then he turns and starts bragging about all he's done. He said, I I I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. He's just bragging. And then he looks over at this pitiful. Broken sinner over there bowed down, and he points to him and says, Lord, I thank thee I'm not like this publican. Would you all have been impressed with that prayer? Now, the publican won't even lift his eyes to heaven. He bows. He knows he's a sinner. You know what he does? He beats on his breast. And he says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know which one of those went down to his house justified? The publican. That's the kind of people we need in the church. And when you've got those kind of people in a church, that church is blessed. Now, all of us can get proud and arrogant. We, we have to watch that at all times. And uh, we have to resist pride. We have to resist The devil trying to make us think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. So when Paul says there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. He's talking about those that Jesus died for. That you know later in this chapter he would say who is he that condemneth. Y'all remember that uh, statement. He says uh, let's see. He says in verse 33, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemneth the elect? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again. Paul understands that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ because Christ died for them and he rose again for them. It's what Christ did that keeps us from being condemned. But an evidence that you're in Christ is the fact that you have the spiritual warfare going on inside of you. And I have to deal with it all the time. Thank you all for your good attention tonight.